If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis, chapter 25 is where we're going to get into some new ground, but before we do, we remember last week as we looked at chapter 24, the unnamed servant goes out looking for Abraham's son, a wife. And I believe that is an exact picture of what the Holy Spirit right now is doing in the world. That we have the invisible Holy Spirit, unnamed servant of God, going out in the world saying, though you've never seen Jesus in person, though you've never been to his place, will you come with us? And we remember Rebecca said, yeah, I'll go. And so she stepped out in faith And uh, we remember that while they were yet a long way off, we remember in verse 63, the very last couple of words says, the camels are coming. I suppose you could have a whole sermon based upon the camels are coming. Well, what was the camels carrying? They were carrying Jacob's wife, uh, excuse me, Isaac's wife. And so very exciting time. We remember that uh, he was about 40 years old when he married uh, Rebecca. And so we find this wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit uh, going out uh, today looking for a bride for Jesus Christ. That's who you are, by the way. I'm sure that really aggravates the underworld. The Bible says that human beings were made a little lower than the angels. I don't think that bothered Lucifer. Don't think that bothered the angels. But then the Bible says that he was going to elevate us above the angels and call us his bride. Many people believe this is what caused the revolt of Satan uh, in the very beginning, along with a third of the host of, of the angels with him. Well, we get into chapter 25, and before we read, let's pray. Father, we come to, your, come to your heart today, and we just ask you that these words would come alive. And God, that they wouldn't just be ink on paper, but they would be as you anointed them to be in your word, so they would be anointed as they go into our heart. And so, Father, may you now bless every person listening, and we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you read the Bible, there's a lot of aspects about humanity that you find. A lot of times people will say, well, you're too old for something, give up, don't try, whatever. God doesn't know the word can't, and can't never did nothing. Always remember that. Abraham tells us here uh, that uh, God's still dealing with him. We remember Sarah had died, and because of the loss, that created part of the need for a woman's touch in the home, and of course in Isaac's life. Rebecca then becomes his bride. Abraham being alone, now Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Now, you got to remember, Abraham is somewhere between 135 and 140 years old. So any of you that think you're too old to get married, here's a good verse for you in the Bible. You're never too old, okay, to do what you feel God has called you to do. Abraham, about 135, 140 years old, takes a bride, and um, he ain't done having kids yet. And she bore him Zimmon. Jokhasan, Medan, Midian, Isbak, and Shuha. Now, um, he had a lot of sons. We remember initially he only had Isaac and, and uh, Ishmael. Now, with this woman, he has many sons. 
Now, we find a little bit about this in the genealogy, where they went. It's not real important nowadays, but gives us an idea of how uh, the Middle East kind of was populated. It tells us that uh, Joksan begot Sheba and Dedan. This is known as present-day Saudi Arabia. So uh, this is, uh, and interestingly enough, in the Ezekiel 38-39 war that is yet to come, this is where Russia couples with the Arab neighbors in the Middle East against Israel, the Bible says, in the last days where they have land of unwalled villages and they come to take a spoil. This battle has not yet happened. I believe it is getting ready to happen. We see the posture of Turkey changing very violently against Israel. Of course, you have Iran and Iraq, which is Persia, mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Uh, But Sheba and Dedan do not come against Israel in this war. And I think it's interesting, maybe the reasons why, is because they're distant relatives of Abraham. And so um, it tells us here that uh, where these people settled. And it says the sons of Dedan were uh, Asherim, uh, Lishim, and I can't, and, and Libibim, and you guys can wrestle with pronouncing these if you like. I try my best. And by the way, it's kind of funny. I met somebody from, from uh, Israel. And I was talking to them, and I mentioned Habakkuk, which we all know is a book in the Bible. And she looks at me very funny, and she goes, what? And I said, Habakkuk. And she said it with the proper Hebrew twist, like, and I can't make those noises. And so, uh, anyhow, um, I just struggle through these like all of you struggle through them with me. Um, the sons of Midian were uh, Ephath, Ephor, Hanak, Abba, Abba, Elda, and these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. He had all these other sons, but the son of promise was Isaac. Now, the reason why we don't follow these other names, really, is they're not part of the story, the lineage of Christ. They're there for our reference, but really the idea of the genealogies in the Bible were not to bore you and make your tongue do things you didn't know it could do, but actually it was to give us the lineage of Jesus Christ, that in fact he was truly God and and fully man. And so it says here that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from his son to the, uh, to the country of the east, which would be the area currently known as, as Saudi Arabia. So it, it follows along in the story here. It is interesting when we come to issues like this in the Bible. We find that... Abraham uh, had Sarah, his wife. She couldn't bury many children. She says to Abraham, why don't you have a son with my, with my handmaiden? 
And Abraham didn't argue. <laughs> he said, okay. And so we find Ishmael being born. He became the father of the Arab race. And they moved away. Now we remember as Ishmael and Isaac began to get older, there was a chiding between Ishmael and Isaac. Sarah, Isaac's mom, came and said to Abraham, send Hagar and Ishmael away. The kids aren't getting along. So the Bible says that he gave her a bottle of water and a loaf of bread and said goodbye. Now, probably one of the cheapest alimony payments ever in the Bible. Here's your bottle of water. Not even a camel, you know, I mean, just send her away. And as the Bible clearly says that Abraham had married her. And I think this is interesting because oftentimes people, especially today, feel so condemned because of their past or their parents' past. Maybe you've been through a divorce, something like that. And people feel that God wouldn't have them in their presence. Well, it is interesting when Sarah came to Abraham and said, send Hagar away. The Bible says the saying exceedingly displeased Abraham. Because he was married to uh, um, Hagar, and he didn't really want to do that. But he sent her away, and so the two split. Now, the reason why that's important is in the next verse or so, we're going to see why. It says that he gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, plural, which Abraham had. Um, This is interesting because not only did Abraham have wife, he had Concubines. You say, what's a concubine? Well, they, they, they ate it around the house. They, they took care of things. They were also um, involved in sexual pleasures. I don't know how else to say this. Children, cover your ears. These are things sometimes we don't like to talk about in the Bible, in the church. But the thing is, they were real and they were part of uh, early society. We know that there were wars oftentimes. This is why... Uh, polygamy became kind of acceptable, though never condoned in the Bible. We remember the Bible talks about God hates divorce. And this is where a lot of Christians become under a lot of guilt. However, polygamy was widely practiced. Now, I'm not trying to sound like I'm from Utah right now, but I am telling you that this is what the Bible says. And this is something that I found in the church today that we have invented a lot of times Christianity that fits our nice little compartment rather than looking at the entirety of what the Bible says about a particular topic. This is one of the great problems that you find in many doctrines that get off and people teach their, their feelings or they teach what they want the Bible to say rather than what the Bible really says about a topic. And so if you're going to be balanced, you're going to look at what the Bible says. If we're going to talk about when Jesus said uh, that there was no cause for divorce except for immorality, I agree to that. But the Bible also doesn't say you can't have more than one wife. So you didn't divorce your wife, you just married somebody else and built her little house out in the back. Now you say, well, Mike, this is, um, you're bringing some strange things to our ears today. Hey, I didn't say it, God did. 
okay? But if we're going to teach line upon line, precept upon precept through the Bible, which today people don't do because it goes against a preconceived idea of what God says and what God doesn't say. But when you read the entirety of God's word, it changes that. So in other words, instead of just hearing, you can do it, motivational speaking, positive confession, visualization, just whatever you want, blab it and grab it. But when you really teach the Bible, it's going to give you a better understanding of who your God is, how God's mercy is extended to even people like Abraham. And if God extended his mercy to people like Abraham, whatever you think that you have done that would remove you from the presence of God, I want to share this with you. God loves you. This is what a problem that we find today. Because we have an idea of what we think the Bible says, but without really reading what the Bible says. And so when you look at this, oftentimes they would come to, to Jesus and they'd say, our father Abraham. They would say that to Jesus often. Like Abraham never sinned. Well, as you study the book of Genesis, you find that Abraham did a lot of things that were kind of obscure and kind of strange. We remember that his first wife, Sarah, beautiful woman. I don't know what kind of beauty this girl had. She could probably sell cosmetic on early Jerusalem television, okay? But the Bible says that even in her 60s, 70s, 80s, men looked at her, kings looked at her and said, I want you. And because I don't know, she just had something about her that was really beautiful. And so the Bible says that Abraham was always scared that a king would take her as his wife and kill him. And so he said, whenever we meet anybody, you tell them that you're my sister. That's weird, but that's what it is. In fact, Chetelamer came to him and said, Abraham, why have you lied to me? And he said, he said, don't get all bent out of shape. We lie to everybody. I mean, this was an agreement that he made with Sarah that whenever anybody asks who you are, you tell them you're my sister. Well, was, he her, was she his, his sister? Well, half-sister. Different mom. Same dad. So I guess you might say he was only half-lying. <laughs> but the point is, the point of the lie was to deceive the person. A lot of times we think that deceiving is okay. It isn't okay. It's like uh, the rattle can overhaul paint job in an engine in a pickup truck. You're trying to sell your truck and you open the hood and it's all nice and pretty. And they say, oh, the motor's nice and clean. Has it been rebuilt? Well, as you can see, it looks brand new. No, it was steamed off, rattle can for a dollar and a half and uh, uh, passed off as a new engine. Is that honest? No, it was deceptive. We need to be careful in being deceptive. And the Bible doesn't want us to do that. Again, this is one of the great things about being a Christian. We can truly be who we are in Christ Jesus. Right, wrong, or indifferent, hey, we are what we are in Jesus. And I think that's a great thing to, to finally come to, that we can rest in who we are. We don't have to put up fronts to impress others. 
And in a society, in our 21st century world, it seems that everything is smoke and mirrors. In other words, we, we, we drive cars we can't afford. We, we do things to impress everybody that, hey, I'm doing good. Meanwhile, we've got every credit card into the stratosphere. We don't have to do that. I, I heard a saying one time. It was a good saying. Whatever you are, be what you are. And if you don't like what you are, you'll know where to go to get help. But if you're heavenly with the heavenly, hellish with the hellish, you don't know which one of you you like best. And we're so used in our, in our society of putting on a front to impress others that we really lose our own identity in all the Gucci world. And God doesn't want us to do that. See, this is one of the blessing things. The problem is it has worked its way into the church. Where we go and, how are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. And inside we're saying, amen, God, I'm dying. But we're scared because we don't feel that we can be honest because there's a preconceived idea of the way that we should be. I want you to know something. You're in a room today, prayerfully, of saints going to heaven. And in the spite of all that, we're a room of many times very broken people. We have very, very torrid past, some of us. You listen to some of these testimonies like Nicky Cruz crossing the switchblade where he is a gangbanger in New York making zip guns out of car radio antennas and, and, and knifing people and switchblades and all that kind of stuff. We're broken people, but it's okay to tell people the truth. We can't even oftentimes tell the truth when the word of God is taught and yet when we come together as a family of God, we, we, we want to put on the front. You don't have to do that anymore. Isn't that great? Amen, God, I'm who I am. Do you know that translates into every way you live your life? Even the way you pray? Oh God, thou art above all gods. Thou is that knowest always, always remember 16th century King James English. That impresses God. By the way, if you know anybody that's Mormon, I don't, I'm not dissing on Mormons. I want to know, where did the Book of Mormon get 16th century King James English in 1850 when the Book of Mormon was written? Things that make you go, hmm. 16th century King James English in the Book of Mormon. Doth thou not know us? They didn't talk that way in 1850. Just things that make you go, hmm. But we can be honest with God. And when we're honest with God, I find something amazing. We can be honest with each other. And being honest with each other is very relieving. Do you know why? Because our lives, our, our lives are no longer a lie. And you know what? People are not looking. I have found this. People in the world are not looking for perfection, friends. They're looking for reality. What's real? We know the American news is phony. We know that most everything that we see, if there is something that appears to be real behind it, there's something wrong. And so we can be honest. And see, this is what I believe truly makes 
the true family of God. Do you know it's very hard in a home to hide what you are? You ever notice that? You may have everybody fooled that you're not an alcoholic, but your kids know, your wife knows, or your husband knows. You see, because the thing is, they're around us. They rub elbows with us. They see what we really are. They see how we tick. They see how we work. And I got to say this, to a certain level, even at that, we're all at a different level of hypocrisy. There's, there's things about us that we know, gosh, I wish I wouldn't do that. And God, forgive me. And, we, and God loves you. Now, the reason I, I go over this is because of this. Abraham oftentimes held up as the meticulous saint. As they would often do this to Jesus, our father Abraham taught us. Yet forgetting what kind of a person Abraham was, a person needing God's grace and mercy just like you and me. We need God's grace and mercy, friends. There's none righteous, no, not one. And when I look at a brother or sister in the Lord and I see him not performing the way I think they should, I realize something, thereby the grace of God go I. And the Bible says, if we see somebody overtaken in a fault, we put their name on the internet and let everybody know what a rascal they are. No, we don't. What we do is the Bible says, if you see somebody overtaken in a fault, considering yourself, you go to that person and offer your assistance to help them get out of whatever it is that you find is objectionable. I've shared this before, but it's such an important story, and it's a true story. Back in the hippie movement days, a lot of people, if you came out of the uh, if you're probably in your early 60s or older, you remember the late 60s, early 70s, and there was a lot of street kids, and they had no place to go. And uh, I went to this church in, in Walnut, California, where uh, th- there was a lot of people and people going. And, and, and uh, the reason I ended up going to that church was because um, I saw something I'd never seen in the churches I was raised in. Uh, the churches that I was raised in, everybody looked the same. They dressed the same. They looked the same, all those kinds of things. And I went into this church, and here was a guy sitting there with wingtips on and three-piece suits, sitting next to a girl in a halter top, which was really weird, and sitting next to a guy in flip-flops and cutoffs. And I'd never seen that. All these different backgrounds, all in the same place, loving Jesus... In spite of everybody's failures, in spite of everybody's successes, they were a family. And I saw that. Now, I'd read about Jesus' love in the Bible all my life. I was raised in church. My testimony is crossing the butter knife. I didn't, I didn't have all the problems that you read about. I, I, I never smoked a joint, never got loaded. You know, I mean, all those things. But the thing is, I always heard about love in church, but I never saw it because we only like people that look like us. And if you came into our church dressed with long hair and flip-flops and beads, well, you were escorted out because you weren't one of us. Or they would get you in the corner and try to cut your hair, you know, shaved and shorn for the glory of God. I'm serious. And so the thing is, is that I went in and here's all these people all dressed differently. And I remember there was this one guy 
And his parents, I believe they went to Europe or something. He had this big house out in, out in uh, uh, Hacienda Heights. And, 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 and so anyway, he went around and he let people live with him. And most of them were girls. Well, what happened was the elders of the church got wind of it. And they went over and knocked on his door and said, brother, and they named his name. And they said, we see that you have about eight women living in your house here and maybe a couple of guys. He goes, yeah, they have nowhere else to go. They're out on the street. They were hitchhiking and I didn't want something bad to happen to them. So I let them move into my house. Well, the Bible says you need to be above reproach, brother. You have the essence of sin. He said, okay, I'm glad you're here. He said, I'm going to send these three girls home with you, Elder Bob. I'm going to send these three girls home with you, Elder Tom. I'm going to send these three girls home with you, Elder Phil. Oh, we don't want them in our house. And he said, so you would rather have them out on the street than here where they're safe because you won't do anything to fix the problem. And that's the problem. See, that, that's where what, what has happened. We have an idea of Christianity, but the real, ideal, uh, the real ideal of Christianity is to be like Jesus, not to be religious. Well, this is one of the things when you look at Abraham. Abraham uh, was divorced from, from uh, uh, Hagar. He was remarried, but the Bible also said he had concubines on top of that. Look at all the kids he had. And by the way, and again, for anybody that's older, here Abraham is getting married again at 135 to 140 years old and having more kids. So it's never too late to have little kids, okay? Now, it says here, the son of of the years of Abraham's which he lived was 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Now verse 9 is important. And the sons of Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before memory, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar the Hittite, in the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, there Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. Now you look at that and you say, well, what's that about? It seems that Ishmael, and as it tells us here, Ishmael, Isaac came back together again as friends to bury their dad. You know, As you look at a couple things here, first thing you see is death sometimes will bring people who are enemies back together again. Why is that? I think you begin to realize life is but a vapor. We're here for a short time and we're gone. So why spend the time being mad at somebody when they can be a friend? I think that makes a lot of sense. In fact, I believe that funeral services are mile markers on the road of life. It reminds us where we've been and where we're going. You ever see those road markers? In fact, if you ever have trouble along the road, if you dial 911, they'll ask, what's the closest road marker so they can find you? Well, it's uh, mile marker 138. Oh, okay. 
See, I, I believe these things help us realign our values. And here were two bitter enemies, Ishmael and Isaac, now coming together over the death of their father. If you have an issue in your life like this, funerals are a good place to reconcile differences. Remember that. You might call it an illustrated sermon because you have somebody here in the room without a guarantee that we all won't be back in the same room in a week with one of us that are in and sitting in the chairs in the box. So I believe that that, that's important. Interestingly enough, it says Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. Now, again, 175, lived a long time, seen a lot of things. In fact, interestingly enough, in the book of Luke 16, beginning in verse 19, Jesus talks about this rich man and Lazarus. Some of you remember the story. It is not a parable. There was never any formal names used in a parable that Jesus gave. And so I have to conclude that this with Lazarus and the rich man is true. The Bible says the rich man fared sumptuously every day. He had all the niceties of life. He was rich. Lazarus, on the other hand, was a poor man, sick, had boils all over him. Uh, the Bible says the dogs would come up and lick his sores. And, and, and he would lay outside. The Bible, interestingly enough, says he would be outside the gate of the rich man. So the rich man, every day when he would go to a town and do about his chores, he would see Lazarus laying there with the dogs licking his sores and just mm, walk on by. Walk on by. You know the song. So see him laying there, walk on by. Every day, this would go on. Now, I always thought it was interesting that the rich man could have said, you know what, the dogs are licking your sores and you happen to push them away. Why don't you just come inside my gate? You can still be in your deplorable condition, but at least the dogs won't be licking your sores. But he didn't even offer that. The Bible says they both died. The Bible says the rich man died and was buried. On the other hand, Lazarus, the Bible says the angels came and got him. So it depends when you die, how you're going to be escorted. I don't prefer Uber. I want to see the angels come and get me. And so the Bible says that the rich man went to a place called, interestingly enough, Abraham's bosom. This is where all those in faith died and went before Jesus died on the cross. Because the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament could never remove the sin. It could cover the sin, but it would never remove the sin. All of those in Abraham's bosom awaiting the supreme sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that the rich man went to a place as well, a place of the grave, Sheol, but it was the torment side. So Abraham bosom received Lazarus and on the other hand the place of shield the place of the grave the torment side received the rich man the Bible says that this rich man cries out and he said father Abraham tell Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue I'm tormented in the flame Abraham responds and he says there's a chasm between you and us we can't go over there you can't come over here In fact, if I can, maybe next Sunday morning, I'll show you a really neat video clip of this. I I think you'll really enjoy it. 
And, and, and it goes on. He knew he was thirsty. He knew he had five brothers. He knew who Father Abraham was. He knew who Lazarus was. It wasn't that it was just blank memory. He knew all these things. Tell, tell someone to go back and tell my five brothers not to come to this terrible place. Abraham responds, they have the law and the prophets to tell them. And they won't believe even if somebody comes back from the dead, he said. True story. Well, here's the point. Abraham has this place that God entrusted to him because he was going to be the father of the Messiah that was to come. Well, the Bible says again, he breathed his last, man full of years, and gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave. And so again, this place that was purchased by Abraham before to bury Sarah, his wife, and now uh, they're there together, uh, their bones. By the way, just real quick, another quick thing here. Cremation is not something that you find in the Bible. People say, well, is cremation okay for me as a Christian? I believe cremation has no effect on you in eternity, okay? But I do believe that cremation has an effect on those that are alive that knew you. And uh, a friend of mine, um, years ago, ran the uh, cemetery here. He said it appeared to him in talking with many people that people who had an actual burial site dealt with death much better, the children, the grandchildren, than a person who was cremated and their ashes were sprinkled on top of a mountaintop as if they never existed. I've always shared with everybody, you have a birth date and a death date, and that little line between those two numbers was your life. That little line is your life. But that little line impacts a lot of people. And so I believe that again, as he says, they didn't, the Bible says they didn't burn bodies. That was borrowed from the Hindus. But they didn't burn bodies, they buried them in respect because in the book of Genesis that man was made in the image of God. So out of respect for the body that God designed, they just let it decompose in a natural way. I don't believe cremation has any eternal effect on a person, uh, spiritually speaking. I think God has the blueprint, the DNA of every person that's ever lived. But I do believe that people that are alive and remain have a better way sometimes of dealing with death. So it says that it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac and Isaac dwelt in Beer Lanai Roy. And now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's mistress, bore to Abram. And it lists the names of these guys. You can let you go through them and you can wrestle with the names if you like. But it, it shows that God, in fact, did bless Ishmael, just as God said he would, that he would be the father of a great nation as well. We go to verse 19, and it says, This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Perdan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now, we remember him last week as we studied together. The unnamed servant goes to the well and says, God... 
I know you've sent me here to find a, a bride for my master, Abraham's son. So the one who offers the water of the camels, that would be the one. So a girl comes up, says, hey, would you like a drink of water? He goes, yeah. And by the way, would you like me to water the camels? And all of a sudden, the servant's ears perk up, hey, this is the one. Now again, I want to tell you something about being a Christian. God has for you, as his child, divine appointments every day. Now, I, I, this is important. We need to train our eyes to see the appointments. We need to train our eyes to see what God does. We pray, God, I want your will for my life. Open and close the doors according to your will. And God slams shut a deal that you were going to make, and we get mad at God. God goes, nope, i got something better for you. But God, I was counting on that. God says, i got something better for you. You see, I don't want to be the master. That's part of being a Christian. I'm saying, and this is what you get when you become a Christian here today, if you're not. It's where you say, I am tired of calling the shots for my life. From now on, God, you call the shots. You arrange my life. The circumstances in my life, I recognize now, are divinely appointed by you. And now all of a sudden, we go from the life of mundane to a life in the spirit with divine appointments. Isn't that great to know? That you actually can be used by God daily if we learn to look at things. The servant prays and said, God, the girl that offers the water of the camels, that's the one I believe you picked for my master's son. Girl comes up and says, hey, by the way, can I water your camels? That's not normal. Notice the unnormal in your life. I believe that there are more unnormal things that happen. And you know, a lot of times we say, why did this have to happen? Anybody say that or just me? Why did this have to happen? Divine appointments. Perk up your ears. God's doing something. When you see something out of the normal in your life as a Christian... Look for God's hand. Look for God's fingerprints. A girl that walks up and offers to water 10 camels was not a five-minute job in the heat of the day. It took probably her a couple hours to do it. And when she was done, the unnamed servant says, here, have this gold nose ring and, and, and some gold bracelets. Gave her roughly, we did the math last week, based upon the current value of gold, $1,800 an ounce. He gave her $10,000 in gold for watering the camels. And then said, is there room at your house for us to stay tonight? I have some business I need to talk to you guys about. Went over and explained why he was there. And then they said, well, it's up to Rebecca if she wants to go. And they said, Rebecca, will you go be this man's bride who you've never seen before to a land you've never been to before? And she says, I'll go. See, that's the same thing with us. I've never been to heaven. I've never seen Jesus face to face. I've read about him. I heard about his wonderful works from this invisible Holy Spirit who inspired this book, but I've never been there face to face. 
And God says, will you go, Mike? I'll go. I mean, what am I doing that's so important that I can't go, okay? Think about it in your own life. What are you doing that's so important that you would miss heaven over? Think about it. Well, you know, I, I've got cars that break down. I've got houses that need to be painted all the time. i got lawns that need to be mowed. And somebody's offering me to go to heaven with them? Now I'll go. Why would you turn away something you can't keep for something you'll never lose? Wisdom, my friends. You see things out of the normal, look for God. Girl comes up, I'll water your camels. Learn to see God unnormal things and oftentimes it will appear to be a pain in the neck but it is divine hand nothing if you're a Christian here today I've got some good news for you nothing happens to you by accident period the Bible says to give thanks in all things this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you so if I give thanks for all things in Christ Jesus, this is God's will for me, there are no mistakes. Good news, ain't it? Man, just makes you feel like a whole weight of junk falls off your back. Okay, God, I don't know. You know, God's never called you and me to understand his plan. Those that truly love me will understand my plan. Not in the Bible. It's not in there. Why? Because God is not interested in you knowing the plan. God is interested in you knowing him. And when you know him, the rest don't matter. You're God's kid. Live like it. You belong to him. He loves you. Oh, some of these things that I've read about in the Bible over the years, and then as you get older in your life, you realize, yes, God, that's what I need. That's what I need. Nothing happens to us as a Christian by accident, no matter how brutal at the time it may seem to be. Again, don't allow yourself to be lied to by the devil. Well, if God really loved you, that wouldn't have happened. Boy, I think he plays that one a lot. And, and it's broken. You know, when you say it plays like a broken record, all the kids today go, what's that, you know? Yeah, friends, I'm talking about licorice pizza. You know, the big discs that were this big around? And what would happen is it would happen, something would happen in the groove, and instead of it progressing to the end of the record, it would play the same groove over and over and over and over again. Well, if God really loved you, this wouldn't happen. If God really loved you, this wouldn't happen. If God really loved you, this wouldn't happen. We begin to go, uh. The old sto story goes, tell a lie long enough, people believe it. But not you as a Christian. You see, give thanks in all things. This is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. I don't know why this is happening right now in my life. I don't know why it's happening in your life, but I know this. Stick close to God and you'll see why down the road. You say, Mike, but that takes faith. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? And without faith, what? It's impossible to please him. Question. Is God bigger than the circumstances in your life? I think we'd say yes. 
I mean, it's interesting to me that we can trust God with our eternity, right? We die, we breathe our last, we flatline, we're dead, okay? I trust God with my eternity with him, but I have trouble sometimes trusting him with my day-to-day affairs, amen? We do. I can trust him with eternity, but God, are you going to get me through this or not? And God looks at it and says, think about it. Haven't I always got you through everything? Yeah. Why would I not get you through this time? Well, I don't know. This one's bigger. God says, there's no big or small to God. It's all the same to him. Issues are issues. Faith is faith. Trust me. So, 40 years old, here comes the camels. I'll bet you when Isaac saw those camels coming, I'll bet you he looked at that and went, is my bride on those camels or not? Oh, they, he knew why, why the servant went to, to leave. We remembered that when she comes into the house, Rebecca, Mom, Dad, Dad, Mom. She comes in with, you know, $10,000 worth of gold on her arms. Laban was kind of a rascal, her brother. We're going to learn about him in the days to come. Laban was kind of a rascal. And Laban sees all the gold and he goes, woo-woo. He runs out to meet the servant. What's in it for me? You'll always find opportunists. They're always there. They're there in the church. They're there in your personal life. They're there in your business. There's always opportunists. You're going to find that. They masquerade well sometimes. They blend into the crowd. Judas Iscariot. Jesus picked the 12 apostles. Judas Iscariot. Betrayer. Embezzler. He was a person that was stealing, the Bible says, from the disciples all along. But yet blended right in with everyone. So when Jesus is at the Last Supper, he says, the one who dips in the sop with me is the one that betrays me. And the disciples all looked at one another and they said, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? They didn't all look at each other and go, yep, Judas. We know this guy was a clown from the beginning. No, what he did, he did so well. With him for three years, embezzling from the other disciples, he was doing this. And no one knew it. Jesus did. Jesus knew his real heart. Why did Jesus pick Judas knowing he was going to betray him? I I don't know all the answers on that, but I will say this. That even a rascal like Judas... Jesus reached out to and offered him eternal life. Isn't that that amazing? See, if I was picking people, I'd pick the best. I'd look for the pedigree. I'd say, well, I want to see your resume. That's what I want to see. And Jesus allowed Judas, knowing what he would do to him, to become part of his team. Friends, again, there is no excuse for any human being on this earth to not belong to Jesus. And see no longer your life in random happenstance, but now divinely appointed by God. And so 
we find this lineage of Isaac that continues now down the road to bring forth the Savior that would save the world from their sins and ultimately cause us all to be aware of the days that we're living in. Friends, we're in troubled times, if you haven't noticed. And I look at that and I'm very concerned because I look at how many people don't know what's going on in the world. They don't know that the world is on the brink of a judgment from God. We know it is called the tribulation period where no one's going to be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark, the name, or the number on their hand or their forehead. May very well include some kind of a vaccine. I don't know. But I know we're on a change of course from what the world has known. You see, the Bible says, Jerusalem will be trodden down with the Gentiles till the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Jerusalem is under Jewish control, recognized by the world as the capital. Friends, we're done. Be sensitive to God. You as Christians, look for the abnormal. Things that don't fit. When you see something that's out of place, out of line, look for God's hand. Because the average person will miss it. But you, children of light, you see things in a different viewpoint than people of the world. When you see something that isn't lining up, You go, something's going on here. You'll find God. You'll find an opportunity to witness. You'll find a blessing for you by being sensitive to God. Abnormal things are oftentimes the way God speaks. Jesus goes into a town. And there's a woman at the well drawing water. And he said, woman, give me a drink. And she said, well, the well is deep. (laughs) And you have nothing to do. And besides that, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan and we don't talk. So what are you talking to me for? She said, you have nothing to draw with. You don't even have anything to drink out of. Which tells me that Jesus was willing to drink out of her cup. So not only to not just converse with her, but to share the same cup with her. That's radical, friends. And Jesus goes on to minister to her and the town. Things out of the ordinary. That's the way God works. This morning, if you're not a Christian, I feel bad for you. Because the things that are happening to you are destroying you. They're not for your betterment, they're for your worst. You can change that today. You can say, okay, God, from this day forward, I am going to let you do what you want to do in my life. Help me not to complain. Help me have faith to see through whatever trial this is. By the way, I'm preaching to myself right now. Because I need that. I forget. I've got to be reminded. Abraham remained faithful to God and God blessed him. God will bless you. God does not have favorites. I don't care about your past. I don't care about whether you've been married before. I don't care what your past has been. You might have been the most vile sinner in the world. All things are new in Christ here today. You're a new creature in him. Be that person. Let God bless you. Man, you say, but I want to be blessed by God, but how do I do that? May the Holy Spirit Open your eyes to God's presence in your life. Watch for abnormalities in your daily life. This is sometimes that we kick, but it's the very thing that God is saying, no, here is the blessing.
Let God be God in your life. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to get saved. Bottom line. Because not only are you going to find all these things in your life worked against you, even when you thought you were winning, you're losing. You look at people down, you know, pulling this line. Yeah, I got a jackpot. I got a lot of money. This happened to me. I've shared this before. I was at a body shop. A guy comes in, Eddie. And he had a handful of $100 bills. And he come up, and I was grinding on a fender. And he comes up and he goes, just like this. He goes, look at this. And he wiggles like $800 in front of my face. I won. (laughs) And I looked at him, I said, you lost more than you've ever dreamed. He goes, everybody, look at this. Mike says I lost. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Well, two weeks later, he comes in on a Monday morning, his chin dragging on the floor. And I said, don't tell me. You went gambling and you lost your paycheck and everything else. And he goes, how'd you know? And I said, I told you you lost. Because you were going to go do it again. Well, here's the thing. That's the way the world and the devil works. It doesn't work in your favor. When you win, you're really losing. But as a Christian, even when you're losing, you're winning. I like that. This morning, if you need to get right with God, let's pray. Those listening by radio, you pray as well. Facebook, let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I'm sorry I've lived the way I've lived. I repent, and I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. So now, I want to be your child. Work in my life every day. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your boldness and your love for the lost. And God, arrange my life for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what it's about. Just as simple as that. Like signing the title deed of your car over and it's somebody else's. Hey, you just signed the title deed away on a bunch of tears and sorrow that you don't have to put up with anymore. And now, start living for the one that's going to last. That's good. You see, God loves you. And the thing is, when we look at Abraham as an example, as we did just a thumbnail sketch of him today, we see that he wasn't a perfect man, but God used him immensely. God wants to use you as well. And so we don't have to be phony anymore. If we need prayer, we can walk up to anybody in the church and just say, hey, will you pray for me? I'm just going through some junk. We can be real. Don't have to put on a fake show anymore. I like that. And whatever we are, we can be what we are in Christ. And God will change us into his image. That's the promise.